This episode is dedicated to the memory of Oluwatoyin Salu, a woman that courageously spent her final days fighting for black lives. After a June 6th protest in Tallahassee, Florida, she tweeted that she was sexually assaulted by a man while looking for a place to stay. Days later, her body was found. On behalf of Kat, her life mattered. Black lives matter. Black women lives matter. If you aren't here to protect black women, then get the fuck out of the way. You are useless. Toyin was a young activist that fought for us. We will fight for her. first deleted scene me and Kat discuss future directors we want to cover it's just a behind the scenes peek of how we brainstorm each episode also Kat has never seen an American cinematic classic and of course I'm not having it <laughs> also in terms of female directors uh I have a couple possibles spit them shit out girl um so Greta Gerwig Oh shit! I I wanted to. I never finished the original um, Little Woman, so I I didn't watch her Little Woman. Uh, but keep going. Who who else? Oh, she's actually in fucking Our Dogs. Isn't yeah, she? she is. Uh, yeah. Nancy Myers. I like Nancy. I love Nancy. Uh, I love a good Nancy. Uh, Ava DuVernay. <sighs> I never gave DuVernay much of a shot only because, well, cause she did the, she did a, didn't she do the prison documentary? Yeah. Um, so it was kind of like, I don't want to be black and sad. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I feel that, uh, um, Selma, Selma is a very black and sad movie, but a wrinkle in time is a fucking voyage. Uh, is Wrinkle in Time good? People are saying no. It good. no, 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 no. It's not good. But boy, is it fucking funny. <laughs> if you try to apply uh, is... any logic to it at all. Oh, shit. Um... And then uh, I also have Catherine Bigelow. What has she done? Uh, hang on. The name sounds super familiar. Hold on. I'm going to look at her right now. Uh, the Hurt Locker, Zero Dark Thirty, Point Break, Detroit. She used to be married to James Cameron. Oh, yeah. Of those, of those women that you named, who, who of those would you want to cover the most? I mean, I'm. I'm I know you're big, in- Nancy Myers. I, I am Nancy Myers trash. Um, I would also maybe put in an argument for someone like Jennifer Lee. The uh, actress? No, no Jennifer Lee. No. no, Jennifer Lee, uh, who, uh, let's get her director credits up. She only has three director credits, but she made the Frozen movies. Ew. So her first movie that she directed, and she's written a ton, but uh, the first movie that she ever directed is like the highest grossing animated film of all time. <laughs> uh, we could also do the Wachowski sisters. I have a problem with them, but... 
I mean, other than Matrix, what have they done? Speed Racer? Cloud Atlas? <laughs> Weren't those bad? I mean, yeah. Ugh. Uh, Jupiter Ascending, baby. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> hold on, so... So, maybe let's go with Greta, but... Uh, also, just a thought. Oh, actually, JK, this might be too hard to do. Uh, I, I would put in a, an argument for uh, Patty Jenkins as well. Patty Jenkins. Director of Wonder Woman. She's uh, on... I believe she also uh, directed Monster. Okay. Yeah. yeah, she, she directed Monster. She directed The Killing, uh, which is a TV series, but it's only like two episodes. Uh, and she also did an episode of Arrested Development. If we do Greta Gerwig, she is Lady Bird, Little Woman, and No Strings Attached, which... Oh, that's... What a weird... <laughs> that's a big-ass pivot. But also, Jesus, I don't want to sit through freaking Lady Bird again. Did you not like Lady Bird? Uh, yes, they, bro. Bro. We're fucking brothers, yo. <laughs> no, <laughs> Lady Bird! <laughs> I didn't hate well, it. Well, not fuck Lady Bird, but I, I think Lady Bird is vastly overrated. Yeah, uh, according to this, uh, if we're just doing her director credits, it's Little Women, Lady Bird, and Nights and Weekends. Oh, she didn't direct No Strings Attached? No. Oh, she probably just acted in it, I guess. Yeah. Damn, she's not old at all. I, for some she's reason... 36, and she's married to Marriage Story, or... Uh, in a long-term domestic partnership with Marriage Story guy, Noah Baumbach. Jeez. I don't know why I just sounded so angry about that, but I am. Hilarious. Yeah, I don't necessarily want to watch Lady Bird again. <laughs> All right. I mean... So I guess that that bumps Greta. So it looks like we've got Catherine Bigelow. What the hell's Nights and Weekends? We've she got... stars in it. Hold on, hold on. Yes. Oh, damn. So she directed it, produced it, wrote it, and starred in it. It's well, gotta be. It's gotta be bad, right? Hold on. That sounds like the room, but okay. Oh yeah. It, well, Rotten Tomatoes. Whoa. Oh shit. Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> it has a eighty-nine percent. Shit. Well, maybe we glance. Lady Bird. Maybe we'd go off our memory for Lady Bird <laughs> and just watch the other two. Uh, what about Sofia Coppola? Coppola's translation. Marie Antoinette, The Virgin Suicides, The Beguiled, The Bling Ring. I. Did you like Marie Antoinette? I haven't seen it. Because that's the one with um, Big Face, right? Uh. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> I have Was no idea who you were talking about. Oh, you don't? Or are you joking? No, I, I don't know who, who Big Face is. Fucking... Uh, who did fucking... Um, uh, bring it on. Her. Uh, Hang on. <laughs> Fuck. Also a movie I haven't seen. Kirsten Dunst. Oh, you never seen Bring It On? No. God. Ugh. Yes. Yeah, it does star Kirsten Dunst. In this scene, I try to empathize with Kat talking earnestly about films. This is after we finished recording the Wes Anderson episode, and Kat was a bit surprised about how deep she was able to dig for that episode. Check us out. Damn. That was quick, but that was good, man. Like, that was really good. Fuck. I feel like that was a lot. I, that was like a lot more earnest than I normally am. 
because that was I like what, the, like a cool hour and a half. Yeah, we we at we're at uh, hour thirty one minutes right now. Yeah, I you know what it is. I don't know if it's earnest, but I think because I think maybe because you lived with these with at least Moonrise Kingdom and Grand Budapest Hotel specifically, I think because you lived in it a little bit more, it's it's more easy just sort of kind of talk about it from like the heart or whatever. And maybe that sounds kind of cheesy, but I think that's kind of, I think that's kind of it because like there's movies that you grew up on that you can like riff on. Like I could talk about cheesy B movies, cheesy B action movies from like 1993 that Mm -hmm. I only saw Cinemax and saw nowhere else. But for a movie like, like Isle of Dogs, like, I I just finished watching that like literally like forty minutes ago, so mm-hmm. it's like so it's I think things that register with you more you have way easier ways of talking about it pretty like not not academically necessarily even though it is you have a base in that you're able to talk about it more like thoroughly because you lived with it for so long like it it marinated with you. For all those years, because you've watched Grand Budapest Hotel like a couple of years ago, I'm guessing, right? I watched it when it first came when out. When it came out, yeah, it came out. So, yeah, like and you then, this movie. like I also made a point. It was showing in in Italy as part of a film festival. Like, I went and saw it in Italian. Like, sure. I, I, uh, I just I found the Blu-ray that we have as a family. Uh, and in 2015, when we bought it on DVD, or rather Blu-ray, just Blu-ray was $34.99. Jesus. But, like, seemed seemed worthwhile. In this scene, I'm kind of surprised about how not horny the Sofia Coppola episode was. I thought it would be a bit hornier than it actually turned out to be. And Kat gives us the French history lesson that we will never forget. Oh, man. I thought it was, I'm not gonna lie, I thought this pod would have been more hornier than what it was. I mean, (laughs) I I was very tempted to go on a long rant about the the beautiful hand-painted stockings from Marie Antoinette. Uh, and the fucking roughly ass panties she's wearing in that scene where she just has the the fan open or the the ruffles on the cages in her garter. But like I could have gone on, but I I was like this is a movie podcast, not a Catherine will never be able to afford the underwear she wants podcast. Um, Who's the most vulnerable person in this movie? Marie Antoinette. You, we a, yeah, we have a young we have a young ass Tom Hardy. He's not full Bane's He doesn't dad have body the jawline yet. yet. Yeah, he's still kind of he's, he's kind of not, real chubby. He's not like I feel like he's only like half baked. Like he's not ready to come out of the oven. Uh, Dornan's got a good chin line. He has a yeah, he has the strongest one. Actually, but he, I would I would, the only... I would put in a plug for for Schwartzman. I would feel remiss if I didn't say mm. that he's got he's got good eyes. But you earlier you said you wouldn't have boned them though. Oh no, absolutely not. Not as no. But like <laughs> I don't think he's not a contender, if that makes sense. He's just not my taste. He's yeah, um I mean I'm I I'm like not, him much better in everything Wes Anderson has ever put him in, frankly. He's not very attractive in this movie. I I feel kind of like a, a jerk off for saying it like that, but he's not very attractive in this movie. Well, he's, he's not hot. But also, movie. like, my if if you were to line up every guy I've ever dated or been interested in, there wouldn't be a like lot him? of... No, there wouldn't be any real physical similarities because I'm into charisma. And he just does not have a high charisma role in this movie. Yeah. Like, if he was funny, if if Schwarzman was funny in this movie, if he was cracking jokes left and right. Or even just with, making making those faces he makes. You know, he, he in a, most of the Wes Anderson movies, he has these little micro-expressions that he does. 
So when he he meets Susie for the first time, he kind of looks her up and down. And instead of doing that eyebrow raise that a lot of guys do, his lip ticks. Okay. And it's it's very it's a very funny looking thing because he's got that mustache and he's dressed like a freaking khaki scout, and like, <laughs> but he doesn't do any of that in this movie. He's very contained. Yeah, I mean he's he's so contained that nothing radiates. <laughs> he, yeah, he's like a fucking pokeball. Like, yeah, you're kind of right. He's he's got block of wood face. Yeah, like, and, I mean, because there was actually, I don't know if you heard, there was, like, one cutaway where it was a scene where they're, like, where people were talking shit about him, and there was one there was one voiceover that, that said, um, like, he likes men, and I don't think... I heard, it, I heard he likes both men and women, is... is yeah. Like, oh, I heard. <laughs> my, my little bi senses went, bing! <laughs> Hilarious. But um, it's it's kind of they weren't really hinting that he was gay in this. Except he was known to be bisexual, and I'm really mad about all this bi erasure in my media. <laughs> well, I was gonna say that. Well, was he? Well, so Louis was he really fucking women in real life other than his wife? I think so. But there were also men. Because I was going to say, like, it's... Oh, he's, not... a, he's a super slammable twink. Like, don't get me wrong, but... I mean, because if, you, if you're thinking about it, like, the first... Where we first introduced to him in the woods with two men. Like, it's... They're, they're not... It, I, I kind of applaud her not for being heavy-handed about it, but you, you kind of get the sense that, yeah, he's just not... He just does not want to fuck her. I so, feel like and that's what about. I feel like though even if they don't want to fuck they probably would have been better friends because you mean in real life? Yeah. I'm not searching was Louis the 16th gay. That's not fair. Um it's Google you and anything is fair game on Google. Yeah, I don't like to know that. Oh, fair enough. Uh, was Louis? Oh, okay. This is very not what I was looking for. Uh, was Louis the sixteenth bisexual? The secret gay and lesbian history of Versailles. Hey, get it popping. Oh, okay. Here we go. I found an article called uh. Why did it take so long for Louis the Sixteenth and Marie Antoinette to consummate? Parentheses. Fuck. <laughs> Subtle. <laughs> uh, marrying too young, not being physically attracted to one another, a lack of knowledge and education about sex, and on Louis's part, a possible case of phimosis. Are you familiar with phimosis? That sounds super old, and no, I am not. Uh, it's my... it's not super old. Uh, so it's when your foreskin doesn't retract all the way. Oh, um, I don't want to give away about too much about myself, but no. <laughs> then maybe stop the recording. <laughs> <laughs> and that ends the deleted scene. In this scene, it's more Sofia Coppola takes, and also it's the origins for the episode 14 intro of Necros. <laughs> I'm a hot mess. <laughs> man, oh, we, man, that was a that was a that was a great conversation, man. Fuck, like I really I, liked all of her movies, though. Like I was yeah. trying to be mad about any of them, and I. I can't be. And, like, even thinking about what I said about James Woodens and the Virgin Suicides, right? Yeah. I can't be that mad because it's based off the frickin' book. Yeah. Also, though, when they started talking about Trip Fontaine and they started playing Magic Man by heart, I screamed. I literally screamed. I was like, ah! Like... Because I knew exactly what they were coding when I heard, like, and I was like, 
he fucked some moms. Like yeah, he was getting it in, man. He was. I also loved the the dads, the dad, and the dads. For I was, I'm just gonna say the dads. Um, yeah. his two dads, um, like sat him down and made him a cocktail and was like, "Let's talk about this broad." Like I was just like, "Yes." And they were playing fucking um, Al Green in the background. They were yeah. gay, weren't they? I don't know. <laughs> I think he has two dads, yo. <laughs> I think he has two dads too, and that's kind of why the fact that he's like a mega straight man who has a drinking problem because he probably killed the first and only love of his life. Jesus. Like, I mean, an argument could be made that it is his fault. And clearly, that is implied by the fact that he has a drinking problem and is in a rehab facility. The well, argument that he has had with himself. Okay, I would. I was gonna say he he feels guilt about it as opposed to it being his fault. I don't think it is. His, I. The only thing that I think he should have done differently, and not like. I think he should have walked her home. I, w- I think it's actually a good thing they didn't explore why he left. He just kind of said he left. Well, also, he's a teenager. It doesn't, like... Yeah. The, the well, brain's well, not fully developed, yo. Um, well, I mean, he's a, he's like a high school senior by then, so... He's 17. He, they say I think, he's 17. Yeah. But I think he knew why he left. I just think if I had to speculate, I would just say he was just when he woke up and he saw her laying next to her. I just think that he knew that that level of commitment that he was feeling and falling in love with her. I just think he was scared by that. I think that's why he left. He was just scared of falling in love with her because he didn't know what that actually meant. Which, I mean, you can argue that's kind of. Falling in love, like, you know, that's great. Everyone wants to fall in love, but at the same time, like, I think because he fucks so many moms and so many other girls, him giving himself over in that way. Oh, yeah, I mean, hey, milfs. But but I think if if you're coming from that perspective of falling in love, there's a certain giving of yourself that it's really hard to let go. So, like, he has all these women doing all these things for him. He doesn't have to do jack shit except get a nut off. But he's actually being invested in this person. And I think that relationship is actually scary to him. I think that's why he left. People need to nut up and just follow their hearts. For him, literally. (laughs) Well, I mean, it would be bad if he did it now because she's super dead. I mean... I mean, we don't shame against the uh, necros. We absolutely do. <laughs> I don't know if this is going to make that so. <laughs> that should be the intro. We don't shame necro. We absolutely do. Oh, shit. Oh, man. And then just, you know, da, 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 da. Hilarious. Man, that's so funny. But no, I, I really did fuck with all these movies, man. In this like, house, we shame necrophiliacs. I also fuck all these movies. Uh. You fuck all these movies? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> hey, I'm not busy. Uh. I hear that. <laughs> oh my god, I hear that. This scene is not necessarily about movies at all. Uh, I talked to Kat about, you know, kind of the purgatory of being in your 20s and 30s. Um, Unfortunately, something that most of us go through. And yeah, I, yeah. (laughs) How was your day? The same as every other one. Has there been no, um, no steady improvements at all or is it just kind of has the blur has the blur uh started yet i mean this is like day like 60 ish for massachusetts yeah 
I think the blur started about three weeks ago. Ooh, ooh, doggy. That's uh, that's really tough. That's really tough. Cause like when you when did you guys close down? Like it's been a hot while, but it hasn't been that long. Uh, we were. I'm pretty sure we were at the four week uh, mark ish, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I haven't. I've been like, um, shit, I barely even drive anymore. I think I, well, the only time I drive is when I go to the grocery store and back. But, um, but yeah, basically Texas is, is open. So, um, I'm not fucking with these people out here, man. <laughs> like, but I know your situation. I know East Coast and Boston. I know you guys are, um, a bit more, uh, stringent. Strict. Yeah, um, but but yeah, it's uh, it's getting pretty wild out here. So I'm definitely going to be in for a long time, honestly. I mean, like, I hope things go well, you know, in the places that are reopening. But I also don't think that we have nearly enough of a grasp of what is actually going on for us to, to make safe, informed choices. Uh, so that is... You know, if we opened up tomorrow, I'm staying in for at least two weeks like a respectable young woman letting everybody else run off the edge of the cliff uh, yeah. before I go out. Yeah. Uh, mostly because, uh, no, God damn it! I finally got the hang of this living thing. Fuck off. <laughs> I think <laughs> getting the hang of living and then having to adjust... That's definitely something that is uh, definitely relegated to late twenties. So you're like you're like pretty early on that curve. So hopefully that means by the time you hit your thirties, everything is going really well. Um, <laughs> sorry to be so grim. <laughs> I mean, it was. I thought everything was going great. Yeah, that's kind of the jig about being your early 20s because like you feel like you have that hold and then you don't don't have that hold i don't even think i had that hold as much as i did like i feel like i was at least headed in the right direction a little bit like not even the hold but i was like okay okay like I, I've I've got a job. I've got a goal. I've got a thing that I would like to save for. I've I've got you know kind of where I want to grow and who I want to be when I grow up. And I'm going to work for two years to go to grad school to hopefully be able to actually pursue the like dream dream. And I've got I've got some good things going here. You have described ninety percent of what it is to be in your twenties in America. And so, then, uh, well, uh, I mean, I guess for those of you who have been living under a rock or perhaps are, like, listening to this in 2077, everything's gone to hell. The economy is going to shit. Uh, it's going to be impossible for me to even get a job as a barista after this. Uh, which, by the way, in Boston, it was incredibly hard to get a job as a barista before. How is that even possible? I was talking about before. I feel like, well, well Boston so isn't Boston, really... Boston is is having this issue now where basically the market is just saturated with really good baristas and really good bartenders. So it's incredibly competitive. Okay. And a bunch of cafes and places that were opening are probably not going to survive. Um, yeah, that's so, kind of the jig. And a lot of people aren't going to want to start new places in a time of economic depression actually you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna actually have the opposite opinion i'm gonna have a good a good feeling because um whenever bars and stuff back open back up it's going to be the flood for the people that can afford the flood but that's not a lot well no like you i mean hell man i've seen people I'm sorry, you've seen people too when they have their last 40 bucks, it needs to be spent on a night out. So <laughs> I think I'm going to be I optimistic. I would love to know that. where we can go for like a full night out for 40 bucks. 
There's no. I thought uh, Boston had like college, like college bars. I'm guessing that's like maybe Cambridge or some shit. Yeah, I mean Cambridge, sure, but like still, like a beer is probably gonna cost you six or seven bucks a pop. Um. I mean, hey man, I'm I'm of the pregame generation. Like, I'm really of that. Like, I need to get lit before I actually venture out, and then mm. maybe I'll have like two drinks out. But yeah, man, that's that's the finesse. The pregame life is the ultimate finesse. But going going back to what you're experiencing in your twenties, <laughs> like, no, like everything you did describe though, as far as like you had the plan. You had it mapped out like that kind of is like the experience of the early to mid 20s and so the jolt of things happening or not happening that is what happens like in the in your late 20s early 30s so now like i mean everyone's kind of going through actually that kind of thing where uh we're trying to plan out mentally where we are no one knows what's going on and we're kind of just sort of in this rut. So I think America is basically at like 26 years old now. Like that's like for people that are over 30 listening to this, they kind of get that that metaphor. Um, but it's we're just in a real sort of purgatory of like where we are and like where we're going. Want to talk movies? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. (laughs) Here, I question if women actors and directors typically make better films when working together. And we touch on Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. This clip didn't make the episode, not because it was necessarily bad, but kind of just keeping the flow of each episode going. Um, It would have been really good to put in, but I didn't necessarily want to bog down the original episode. So I wanted to keep it kind of flowing, keep it moving. Let's see what they do with this collection of potential heroes and villains. Huh? And I gave it two and a half stars. And then I got, like, just railed on for not understanding the character when I have a stack of her comics that go up to my fucking knees. (laughs) I'm I'm very sure that your experience as a woman, you've had that more than once before. Let me ask you, though. This is... For me, the answer is yes, but not necessarily yes in a bad way. Recently, I was looking at this. um, I was actually listening to this podcast for a second time. Um, It was the on the rewatchables. I don't know if you listen to the rewatchables, but it's a Bill Simmons podcast, uh, and he had on Van Lathan, who used to be employed by TMZ. And this writer, Wesley Morris, uh, who, who writes for the New York Times. He's the editor for New York Times. Mm-hmm. And Wesley's actually probably my favorite living writer. And he kind of made a point that I agree with, but it's not necessarily in a bad way. He was, uh, so they were reviewing Boomerang. Boomerang's a super black-ass movie and it's super great. Um, but he was making a point that there's something that they kind of got to the point where they were discussing Halle Berry and her career and how this movie, it should have signified something better for her career than it did. Mm-hmm. But they made the point, well, he made the point specifically is how there's kind of this thing where black actors, they get around black directors and black writers, the language that they speak and how they interact for whatever reason, it just elevates their performances in these movies. So, if you have a like a, a great black actor with, with like with like a great black director, you're going to get like great results because of that inherent blackness. Mm-hmm. My question to you is, and like I said, I think the answer is yes, and this is a good way. Do you feel that if we have, and I think these movies are actually all a testament that we just watched. Like, do you feel that? it's a better chance than not that if you have great women getting directed by great women directors, it's going to be more likely the project is great. Yeah. But I don't think it necessarily has to be like that. So Uh, yeah, it doesn't. So one of the examples that I've been thinking is I, I was tempted to write this in my review, 
a first star girl is like someone just needs to watch men this you need a diverse writer's room yeah full of people who have had different experiences and you need to respect all their voices and that's how you're going to get a tv show you know even if white cishet male mcgee wrote the character in the comics White cishet male McGee, who is mourning his sister and made a wonderful character out of her, needs to acknowledge that he has never been a teenage girl. Yeah. So you need to get people who have been teenage girls in there. You need to get people who moved when they were very young, if that's a plot point in your writer's room. You know, you need to get people who who know in your in your writer's room. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and in, in your director's chairs and, and, you know, kind of in your showrunner booths, you know, you need that. Um, I don't know if you've watched any of the Mandalorian round tables on Disney plus. The, yeah, I watched a couple of them. They're pretty good. But that's what, like, that's part of the reason why I think the Mandalorian has this beautiful universal appeal, right? Is yeah. that even though... Favreau wrote most of the episodes. Look at his support team. Big collaborations, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. And I think that is why it works so well. Yeah. Um. And I think the sooner people get it into their heads that the best things that are happening right now are collaborations with people who are different than you the better content's going to get. So, like, I haven't watched Lovecraft Country yet, but I've heard a lot of excellent, excellent stuff about it. And it's a collaboration between Jordan Peele, who is one of my favorite creators right now, and J.J. Abrams, who I just wrote a 3,000-word piece (laughs) about how I hate. (laughs) But Jordan Peele, I think, makes amazing, thought-provoking endings... Yeah. And J.J. Abrams is really good at setting up beginnings. I need to watch Get Out again. Not and Get they Out. Have uh, us. Completely different lived experiences. Yeah. I want to see how they work together. Yeah. You know, I'm willing to give this a, a good faith try. I'm willing to check my anti J.J. Abrams prejudice at the door here, <laughs> uh, because <laughs> I think that they could create something better and become completely different creators through collaboration. Yeah. And I think I mean, that Yeah, because, I mean, Jordan Peele, like, that's the, uh, Cassie Lemons, like, they are, they created the new Candyman movie mm-hmm. under Jordan Peele's, uh, uh, production company. And yeah. So, yeah, like, he, and, like, you know, when the news broke, like, people were saying it was his movie, and it was like, no, it's I'm, I helped, but it's her movie. Like, she's the director of it. Mm-hmm. I wish that they had aired his episodes of Twilight Zone on regular CBS and hadn't just shunted them onto the fucking streaming app that I don't want to pay for. Because Basically. <laughs> I, I'm a big Twilight Zone person, and I think that Jordan Peele could have a, an awesome take on them. Not not even just based on the cinematic films he's made, although both of them honestly kind of feel like modern takes on the Twilight Zone energy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but just because, like, it's a different perspective. You know? Rod, Rod Serling, comma, straight presenting cis white man did <laughs> not have the same experience that Jordan Peele did. Yeah. You know, even if he has empathy and a degree of understanding, you know, and even if he knew how to kind of take monster stories and use them to help people understand humanity. Yeah. Jordan's really good at that. Like, Mm -hmm. Jordan is really, really good at that. But it also sounds like his episodes of The Twilight Zone had a lot of studio interference. And maybe they weren't as strong as they could have been if he had, you know, say, just found a way to make them on their own and then sell them. Yeah, like, because, I mean, CVS has a network 
and I know they're trying to push their app, but even just putting it on CBS like Friday night scare night and just or, having it on demand, that would have worked better if they believed yeah. in it really. Or even just doing one episode, because I think there's only four. I think there's four episodes in a season showing one or two of them in a row and making it yeah. like an event night. Yeah. Um, you know, but the other thing is like, if you have someone who has made two of the best, most thought provoking horror films of all time, and at least I feel like us is a little more surrealist, but like get, yeah. get out is very explicit in what it's about. Yeah, it has a lot of like layers to its meaning, but you know what it's about when you watch it. So, um, the fact that CBS seemed to be like, well, you know that, uh, the Twilight Zone like wasn't about you know that when like it it was that's what it was about. I mean... The episode "The Eye of the Beholder" is literally they showed that to us in middle school. To talk to us about racism. That's yeah. how racism was introduced to us. Yeah. Um, and like, I don't know if, if you are familiar enough with the Twilight Zone to like know the episodes by name, but this one is very famous because it's the the woman is in bandages for the whole episode, and uh, you only ever see the doctors and nurses from behind or in silhouette. And then they unwrap her at the end, and she's beautiful. And one of the doctor's masks comes off, and they're horrible monsters telling her how ugly she is. And they end up euthanizing her because she doesn't want to live anymore, even though to us as humans, she is, like, the most beautiful thing ever. Yeah. But to them, non-humans... She's an aberration and a monster. Yeah. And it's pretty clear what the metaphor is. Yeah. They're not hiding it. No no lights are hidden under no bushels. The next three deleted scenes all revolve around 2019's Little Women. Again, it was a very good content that we made together, but not necessarily want to bogging down the flow of the show, but keeping it moving and keeping it tight. In the first deleted scene, I wish Joe's character would have been embraced more as a full queer woman. The next deleted scene is about questioning if Lori made the right choice and to who to marry. And the last scene is we gush over Timothy Chalamet because who doesn't? <laughs> Again, the, the like I said, it was removed just you know keeping the maintaining of the flow of the episode. The Lori question came in the middle of discussing a farewell, and so I didn't want to get off track with that convo. So I have it here. Enjoy. Also, I, I'm watching Joe put her little note for Lori in the mailbox and Truth Hurts by Lizzo started playing. Jesus. Oh, bro, she should not have, um... And, uh... They should have yeah. just made her gay, man. They should have just made her gay. Like they should it, was, just... it was written in 1860. She's not, ostensibly not gay because that is not a thing. I mean, it's a thing. They just don't want to admit it's a thing. That's the thing. It's not a thing. It's not with, the with thing. With hand gestures. Yeah, it's not the thing, but it's a thing. Sorry, I'm watching the scene where Timothy Chalamet tells Joe that he doesn't like her dress, but he thinks that she's splendid anyway, and I'm low-key tearing up a little bit. Because <laughs> I'm trash. Trash. Hilarious. Oh, I, we didn't ask. I didn't ask you this. The last, the real last question on Little Women: Who should Lori have gone with? Should he have married Joe? Should he have married Amy? I don't think he should have waited for Joe. Even if I think they would have been the better couple in like the long term existential sense, she told him not to wait, and he didn't wait. And that's that on that. <laughs> you know the point, like. The funny thing, I it took me, I well, I never, I haven't really dwelled on it, but it kind of took me 
a little while ago to kind of realize whenever people say if you let it go if it's real it comes back no man it's just like you let it go so you can go don't let it go with the hopes of it'll come back let it go so it can go she let him go and then it hit her like god damn maybe i shouldn't have let it go yeah but it was a good thing that he did go with anyway yeah quick sidebar do people not like Timothy Chalamet in real life? What was that? About? I, I I feel like there's a lot of like <clears throat> about him. Why is uh, that? Because he's like a Twitter sad boy, TM. I mean, isn't Twitter full of sad boys? Like, <laughs> I, mean, I, I think I think what I mean by that is that generally I'm getting the sense that Twitter is a little tired of some of the sad boys. I mean, they they killed Tumblr, so they had to go somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I yeah. I mean, I love Timothy Chalamet and uh, Call Me by Your Name. Like he's just got such good eyelashes. Um, it's the eyelashes. It's the. I think it's the nose. He has a pretty good nose, man. He he does have a very like nice Roman noise Roman nose. He's uh. Very, very Italian looking. Very Italian looking. He also also looks like a total twink, but like... Jesus. That's not a dig. Some of my best best friends are twinks. I meant a dig in the the other way. (laughs) Oh, do you mean a boing? Yes. Nah. Because he's like... Oh yeah, he is Italian. But doesn't he speak like French too? He speaks like six languages, dude. Yeah. He's like Pete Buttigieg if Pete Buttigieg was a twink. <laughs> if Pete Buttigieg was a twink, Jesus. I, the actually the only I I he's in Interstellar. I don't know. I haven't seen that. No, I'm no. I'm looking at the cast, and it's I'm looking at his. Letterbox and he said and he was in Interstellar. Which I don't. I'm not buying that. <laughs> I barely even. Well, this is a very anti Lady Bird podcast. So <laughs> I forgot he was in Lady Bird until I like rewatched it. Um, a couple of I guess weeks ago, a couple okay. of months ago. Evidently, he's not Italian at all. He's not. Nope. Uh, Jewish, Russian, uh, and Austrian descent. And uh, his dad is French and English. Oh yeah, he was was he born in France, but then he like he has dual citizenship between us and France. I believe that he it's was actually like that. born in the states, but bounced back and forth a lot as like a young a youngin. Oh, he went to school in New York City. Yeah. Yeah, the stalking is coming back to memory now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh. I I like Timothy Chalamet fine personally. I'm really really excited to see him in Dune. I think he's going to be a wonderful Paul Atreides, and I'm so so excited for that adaptation. I don't think it's going to be good, but I'm really hopeful. Oh, Oscar Isaac's in it, Zendaya's in it. Oh no, Jason Momoa's in it. As oh. Duncan <laughs> Idaho. Batista Batista's in it. Yes. Josh Brolin, that's that's a good sign. Um, also, some of the stills that exist in it, I think, are are beautiful. Um, I only I only saw him being on the beach like a sad boy. That's when I saw. Yeah. Oh, Rebecca Ferguson. Okay. Ooh. But that's uh him on the sad boy beach is because he is fifteen and finds out he has to leave his home planet. Oh, Cars Guard is in this. Um, yeah. Who who's he the dad of again? Stalin. Cause he has three sons that are all actors, right? Bill. Bill Skarsgård was Pennywise. Yeah, and he has um, two other attractive sons also. Yes, everyone is hot in the Skarsgård family. Uh, Gustav, who's in uh, Alexander. Uh, and Bill and Gustav. Okay. 
So, Dennis Villanueva, he's directing mm-hmm. Dune. Oh, oh, he directed Blade Runner. Yes. Okay, so I can already tell the visuals are gonna be going to be top notch. Which honestly, I'm I'm thrilled about. I hope it's good. I really hope it's good. Did you like Arrival? I didn't really like Arrival. I uh, I haven't seen all of it. Okay. Um. Yeah, I was I was told it was supposed to be good, but it was it was it was like pretty boring in my estimation. But I I love Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I um mm-hmm. I gave well I Sicario is pretty good. Oh, he did the original Sicario. Yeah, that one is good. I gave Blade Runner four and a half stars. I gave the original Blade Runner five stars. I gave Blade Runner twenty forty nine four and a half. I'm I'm actually of the mind that 2049 is probably better than the original. I need to see 2049 because I they only ha- saw the original for the pod. They had the they had 2049 on HBO, but but they only had it for like a month and then they took it out of HBO. So you kind of have to rent it from somewhere. All right. But this is a this is a V Pro Blade Runner 2049 podcast. Except the the. Scotch they released the 2049 Scotch was bad. Don't do it. Nah, I'm not drinking um souvenir liqueurs. I'm not doing that for anything. All right, that was a good deleted scene, by the way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think I think, and this is an unpopular opinion among literary circles. As someone who you know just graduated an a, as an English major, uh. David Foster Wallace is a lot more interesting when he's trying to pretend that he's normal. It's fair. Uh, and I, I think that's a much more interesting read than him trying to write fiction about normal people, if that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, but hey, I'm just a, a white woman with a college degree. What do I know? Right, Twitter? I'm just a girl. <laughs> right, Twitter? <laughs> as as I was prone to say in the early episodes of this podcast, fight me in the DMs, nerd boys. <laughs> I'm not ska was a thing. Was oh my god. Thing? I wound up crying in my car to the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones the other day because I was so emotionally, like, just wrung out that I was crying to ska in a Target parking lot. And... I don't think I've ever thought of myself as like actually pathetic until that moment. <laughs> Jesus, I went down like a old no doubt video binge like a couple of weeks ago, I and no doubt so much. I le- I legit forgot how beautiful Gwen was. Like, bro. Was, oh, oh, dude, she's the reason I first went blonde. I was like, shit. Okay. I agree with that. I agree with this message. <laughs> I was like all in on that shit. And then I realized my hair was never going to look like hers. So that was probably not worth continuing to invest in. I mean, if you, hey, you can do anything you set your mind to. Just don't be, you know, Japanese hentai Gwen Stefani. You'll be okay. Maybe. Or, maybe. or Cholo Gwen Stefani. You'll be <laughs> okay. Please only be the Gwen Stefani that is that Gwen Stefani is allowed to be. Be the be, be the Gwen Stefani you want to see in the world. The, <laughs> yeah, perfect. The slogan. Is that is that the the this week's podcast slogan? Because last week's was like women got the goods. <laughs> be the Gwen Stefani, Stefani you should see in the world. Yeah. Maybe just maybe. Yeah. God. <sighs> Man, Does that, that was... mean I have? Does that mean I have to be goth cheerleader Gwen Stefani? I think it does. Um, you can be uh, pink hair era. Oh, that's true. I that was like that was, right, that was like right before the Japanese shit really you know took an ugly turn. Before she went full weeb trash, yeah. Yeah. The next two scenes involve last week's guest David Avaloni. Him and Kat discuss Harley Quinn, the TV show Star Girl, and <laughs> Infinite Jest. <laughs> Uh, to, to return to the Harley Quinn thing real quick, though, because I, I like a lot of the stuff in the show, but I, I genuinely found the first season super lacking. 
uh, as someone who really enjoys, especially the new 52 comics, I just, mm, mm, I really wanted to like it and I couldn't do it. Yeah, I don't have that handicap. I haven't read the new 52 comics, so I'm oh. reacting to it just as like what it is in the context that it is. And yeah. I just, I like all of the takes on all of those characters because I, and honestly, probably I like it because I'm not a huge Batmaniverse fan and I like the ridiculous twists on all of it. I yeah. like Jim as a complete maniac. I think that's a very funny way to do that character. Yes. To make him actually crazier than the Joker or Harley Quinn is a funny choice. Yeah, Death I don't hate that. Batman friendship. I think that's funny, you know. No, there's a lot of it that I really do like, uh, but there are also just a lot of things that I'm like, I don't, like, it's so different from the direction that she was going in the comics for a really long time that it just feels very odd to me. Yeah. Like, I, I'm kind of like, y'all know you have, like, two amazing people on that. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah. Yeah, I just, so much of it is so crazy out of continuity to me that I can't even relate it to the like to me it's a follow-up to the brave and bold cartoon from five years ago and has nothing to do with any comic book no that's totally fair you know like it's just if you try to connect the dots on all that stuff none of it tracks also uh you know if we're talking about things on DC Universe stay far the fuck away from Stargirl man yeah that's damn I thought you liked it a little bit I liked the last episode, and I liked this episode okay, but I still don't think they overcame the handicap of, like, the first two episodes. And I also think I kind of acknowledged, like, oh, you legitimately think teenage girls are idiots, even though they are the lead of your series. Jesus. Have either of you guys seen the DC Universe uh, Harley Quinn sitcom? Yes. The cartoon? Yeah. Yeah. It's not good? I love it. I think it's great. But... One of my favorite Damn, things, there's, there's a scene where the Joker is reading Infinite Jest. Oh my God. And that yeah. is one of my favorite burns of dudes. And he's like, yeah, I'm just finishing up in Infinite Jest. And Harley's like, the spine seems pretty intact. And he's like, I, I'm also reading it digitally. <laughs> Hilarious. But yeah, like as the ultimate like loser anarchist's favorite book, uh, I thought that was hilarious. I tweeted at one point, I am trying desperately to start Infinite Jest, and someone literally responded with, why? <laughs> and this is like, white man. And he was like, are you trying to, like, hurt yourself? Because all you're going to do is frustrate yourself and then hurt yourself in your frustration. <laughs> and it's like, eh. my, my sister was reading I mean, it and loving it. can't avoid part. Everything that she told me she loved from the book, I was like, oh, that's in a Kurt Vonnegut book. Oh, that's in William Burroughs. That is also in William Burroughs. That part is in Kurt Vonnegut. I was like, okay, I feel like I don't need to read this book. <laughs> yeah, I, I read a lot of Vonnegut uh, as, as a youngin, because, yeah. Uh, and I also, I read a lot of, um, like, the fiction pieces that uh, David Foster Wallace did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of the nonfiction, like the shorter pieces. Mm-hmm. So a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again is one of my favorite, like, essay series. I guess it was an, a magazine article, but it's like yeah. 150 pages long. So I have no idea how that actually... Well, it's but it's separate essays. Yeah, but there's still All like of 40 of them. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, it's uh, a lot of them. But it's one of my favorite, like, pieces of prose ever. And every time I mention that I enjoy it, people are like, well, we have feelings about David Foster Wallace. And, da, 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 da. and I was like, okay, well, like, I t- so you're not many- wrong. However, uh, I'm not here to tell you you need to read Infinite Jest to understand my suffering as a white man. I'm here to tell you, <laughs> have you considered reading these ravings of a deeply neurotic person trying to appear normal? for a week-long cruise, because I think you should. Like The next deleted scene, sex and religion. Nothing more to say. I never, I was, I was never in X-Files. I was always getting this uh, Simpsons and be on my merry way. <laughs> I, uh, I, I used like, to describe, I, like I used to describe my relationship with religion uh, like the X-Files. I want to believe. Uh, <laughs> so I want to believe. I mean, that's actually, that's pretty close to a lot of people, but... 
Oh, man. Cautiously agnostic. <laughs> I think I'm... I guess if I had to put anything from my religion, I'm going to... I'm non... I'm going to say non-binary because that's pretty ignorant, but I'm... I'm I'm not a believer, but I'm not not a believer. So I'm you're like, agnostic. You're a question mark. Well, isn't some of ag- being agnostic though is a little bit more on the not believing side though? I mean, I think it's in the skeptic side. I think you can take from that either a I believe, but I have more questions, or I don't believe, but I want to. Like it, you can kind of fit it to however however it is that you want to be. Uh, no thanks. <laughs> but no, I'm not. Cool, well, I'm, I'm not, not even, your mom. Like, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. But no, I'm not even at, like this. Thing, I'm not even anti-agnostic. I legit have no labels for my religious beliefs because they don't exist. Anyway, that's, that's how I feel about trying to define my sexuality. We don't I garden mean, variety queer. Someone yeah. described me as supermarket brand queer the other day. Just wow, like, and I was Kirk, like Kirkland queer. Yeah, I was like, all right, I guess. I don't know. I guess. You seem top shelf queer to me. You do not oh. seem like generic queer. Kroger brand queer. You're like Trader Joe's generic queer. Oh God. Not so Kroger. I'm really expensive, chock full of calories, but like not terrible for the environment. All told, no, you're um, locally sourced queer. And in the final deleted scene. David and Kat touch on J.J. Abrams, and they circle back a little bit to talk more about Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone. Uh, and, like, as much as I hate J.J. Abrams, read my article about it, at least he's not problematic. Is Oh, I, I don't even know if he is. I Well, he, he is trying really hard to help lift up other creators who maybe don't have as strong of a presence as he does. And also apparently Lovecraft country is excellent, but I haven't gotten to it yet. Um, I, I dig the, the premise of Lovecraft country, the idea of putting Lovecraft storytelling into the hands of people. HB Lovecraft would hate. Yeah. It's such a great, I'm like, yeah, make an HB Lovecraft thing that HB Lovecraft himself would just have a racist meltdown about. That's fantastic. I also am cautiously optimistic because I feel like uh, Jordan, is it? yeah, it's Jordan Peele who's Jordan Peele. doing it as well, does really good endings and J.J. Abrams does really good beginnings. So I'm really optimistic that this might actually be okay. Yeah, You're hoping for like the the Gotenks uh, fusion dance to be pulled off. It, yes, precisely. Okay. Yeah. I was disappointed in the Twilight Zone. I still haven't watched all of them yet. But how much did he actually have to do with it? Because I feel like if they had confidence in it, it just would have been a CBS show. Yeah. yeah. It wouldn't have been like an yeah. offshoot. But so. it's it's more that if you know anything about the Twilight Zone, you know one thing, and that's that it was a half-hour-long show. They tried it for an hour, one season. Everybody Didn't knows work. those episodes are terrible. And the minute I found out they were an hour long, I'm like, dude, you failed Twilight Zone 101. These are terrible when you stretch them to an hour, and they're excellent when they're 28 minutes or 22. Even, even the movie was like, we're going to make four 22-minute yeah. chunks yeah. and was, then throw end caps on them. I mean, I was, guess we should be glad that Jordan Peele didn't kill anybody with a helicopter. So he's you know, in the top oh, ranks of people making Twilight Zone things. Yes, he murdered true. no Vietnamese children. So right there, you know, bravo. It's so weird they left that in the movie, though. They left the guy in the movie. Thanks for tuning in to the second Deleted Scenes episode. Next week, Kat and I will be joined by handsome Bane of Isle of Pilot Claim, Eric Greenlee. We'll be discussing Spike Lee classic films, She's Gotta Have It, Do the Right Thing, and Malcolm X. And I'm sure we'll get into Spike a little bit deeper than that as well. As always, special thanks to my co-host Kat Chinetti. Without you, none of this will be possible. And also to the Hyphen Podcast Group. We inspire and motivate each other to great greatness, and that will never stop. Also, if you are interested in podcasting, especially women and women of color, please tell a friend to tell a friend to reach out to your boy. We're definitely looking for some more talent out there and some more engaging voices. We love to hear from you guys. Kat and Frank, take us home. Peace. Love you. Bye.
Find Kat at Kat Chinetti on Twitter, Twitch, and Instagram. Find Marcus at Show and Mad Love on Twitter and Instagram. S H O I N M A D L O V. Please join our Facebook group at We Should Do This Again Sometime and follow us on Twitter at Kat, K A T, and Mark, M A R C. Read us at catseesmovies.tumblr.com and the Mark Rob, T H E M A R C R O B.wordpress.com. Be sure to tip your waitress at Catherine Chinetti on Venmo. This podcast is executive produced by Kellen Conley and Eric Greenley under Hyphen Podcast Group in conjunction with It's Like a Podcast or whatever. Thanks again for listening. We should do this again sometime.